Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guests, at least. That's right. Our first tag team is here. Haley and George from Godzilla vs. Podcast Zero. How's it going, guys? Hey, good. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. It's a thrill to have you guys here. Ordinarily, I ask people their favorite horror subgenre, but I have to assume, based on the fact that you two have a podcast devoted to kaiju movies, that that's your favorite? Oh, very true. Yes, absolutely. Godzilla, I was asked this on a date recently, and it's always like one of those, you know, oh boy, I guess this is going to be our last date moments. (laughs) (laughs) I have very strong opinions about Godzilla, and when people don't understand why I like it, I don't understand why they don't. And it's, there's zero conversation. It's the most, you know, there's not much I can do or say, or even want to do or say to convince them. Like, you either get it or you don't. Yeah, and I think that the thing that's so important and fun about Godzilla is that if you just write off the whole thing, then that's that's on you because there's so many different styles of movies within the franchise that, like, realistically, there is something for everyone within Godzilla. And for someone to just be like, oh, all Godzilla movies are bad just means that they're not really putting the effort into finding the ones that are right for them. I mean, people that are like, all Godzilla movies are bad are just boring people. Absolutely. <laughs> There's so much, it's the longest film running franchise in the world. So if you can't find one of them <laughs> to to like, like then you have some taste issues, in my opinion. <laughs> hey, you won't you won't hear me argue that at all. <laughs> How did you guys get into monster movies? Um, for me, I was I was always drawn to Godzilla, and I remember. Like, for me, Godzilla was always this awesome thing. Even as a kid, I would go to the library and I would check out the same, like, two or three books. And it was always Monster Island and <laughs> Hollywood Movie Monsters. And the Monster Island book was just full of pictures from the Godzilla set. And my librarian, after I rent, I checked it out, like, a, I don't know, six, seven times in a row, she eventually pulled me aside and said, George, you can't check this book out anymore. It doesn't have any words in it. <laughs> Um, and I remember the moment I realized Godzilla was a guy in a suit was around like way too late for my age it was like in fourth grade and then I I had this moment of like I don't know ennui uh, where I I didn't think it was a real monster but I also didn't think it was a guy in a suit I thought it was like some super high-end technology they used to make Godzilla move but I still I mean I've always loved Godzilla ever, ever since I was a kid were you into it as a kid as well Haley yeah I was into it majorly as a kid um because of my big brother was really into it and he like he's five years older than me so you know obviously you're that's what you're supposed to when your siblings five years older than you <laughs> yeah. you're like whatever they like you're supposed to and uh yeah and I just always really liked it you know I liked watching it with him and then like all the Godzilla movies and they were always on like matinees on Sundays too on like regular network television a lot of times and stuff so I just I kind of fell in love with it that way and then the you know void of the 1998 one there was just a really great one in the past in the past 20 years that I think it's even gotten better and better it's it's a better and better time to be a Godzilla fan absolutely um I totally agree I didn't really love the 2014 legendary one, but um, the most recent King of the Monsters really brought me right back. I thought it was so fun, and I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. Like, you could see Godzilla. <laughs> it was all these fun monsters fighting. I really I agree that, and I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, Godzilla versus Kong as well. So, um, Hell yeah. You know, and I talked to somebody that got to see a 
preview screening and they said it was it was awesome and they're not even like a, a fan oh hell yeah yeah she was she said it was awesome so that's exciting because we want the monsterverse to keep going yeah absolutely yeah absolutely. it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome and also very very um like it's gonna be a very melancholy moment for king kong fans i think uh, and yeah. that's my prediction. <laughs> yeah, as they Good. as they realize what a what a flaming pile of shit he is. <laughs> uh, uh, this is firmly a Team Godzilla podcast. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, by um, the way, Haley Haley uh, introduced me to the one of the Godzilla like King of Monsters Facebook group. And it is so much fun. It's just it's trash so talking fun. on King Kong constantly. <laughs> it's like the the biggest rivalry, and they are dissing King Kong so bad. It's like, man, so he's, bad. <laughs> he's already dead. <laughs> uh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> oh my god, it's so true, and it's it's like it's funny because it's like wholesome dunking like yeah it's not on it's Low not stakes. on somebody personal and all that stuff it's yeah. just like oh this is nice exactly yeah you get to get out some of that aggression it's about mm-hmm. a fictional giant monkey yeah exactly <laughs> what do you think is the scariest non-godzilla godzilla monster design mm. oh uh i think Gigan. i'm a big Gigan fan as well uh, what about you, George? Yeah, Gigan is my is my number one. Although uh, Mega Guiris is really cool too. I've um, yeah, and I I may be biased because I've been listening to the soundtrack of Godzilla vs Mega Guiris. It's always on in my apartment. I I have <laughs> and I have like the same four tracks playing. It's the Battle March, and every time I walk back from the kitchen with like a drink or something, the Battle <laughs> March is playing. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm pumped. I'm ready to work. <laughs> Um, I think I think that my pick might be either uh, Biolante, just because like the oh, yeah. use of the human DNA in it, plus like the active movement of something that's not supposed to be moving, kind of weirds me out. Plus, I really like. I think that it's scary the way that uh, Destoroya. It's just like a bunch of little crab monsters that somehow combines into a giant crab monster. I'm like, that's oh, not yeah, how Destoroya crabs work. <laughs> You know, that's what we had uh, our buddy uh, Zig on the on the show. It's like he's a really funny guy. Uh, he's running for She-Hulk now. And he chose Destroya. And we we're we forgot just like how serious that one was. Oh, yeah. The beginning <laughs> is like, like aliens. Was really scary. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really good one. It was really fun. Yeah, it really is. But that's not the one we're here to talk about today. We're talking about, in fact, the best horror movie ever made, Shin Godzilla. That's right. This is from 2016. It's the 31st Godzilla movie, directed by uh, Hideki Anno and Shinji Higuchi. And both of them are known for uh, the Neon Genesis Evangelion anime. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, Higuchi also has some previous kaiju experience, having worked on Godzilla 85, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah all-out monsters attack. And he was working on the 90s Gamera trilogy as well. So big background for him in terms of kaiju. And uh, the movie also stars uh, Hiroki Hasegawa, uh, Yutaka Takanuchi, and Satomi Ishihara. And uh, was actually the highest grossing live action movie in Japan that year, which you're like, hell yeah, you love to see it. That it's still got a big fan base. That's always something that I'm worried about, especially when sometimes I think about how 
you can't make a lot of these kind of movies anymore without sort of a wink to the audience. And like people are too kind of like irony soaked to really just be like, Oh yeah, it's just a monster movie. And, and I love that Shin Godzilla kind of proved people wrong because I definitely was like, Oh, I don't know that this is going to succeed, but at least in Japan, it it really went over gangbusters. So well, and it did great here too at the theaters that it was that it was in. And I think you know because I think Hideaki Anno has such a following in the anime fan base world. But also, I mean, it was just a really good movie. It's just mm-hmm. a really well done Godzilla movie, and I think it does like lend credence to. We've gotten, George and I talk about this on uh, our podcast a couple of, like, here and there, but the overdoing it with, like, the logic stuff is mm-hmm. such a hindrance, I think, to the escapism of horror films sometimes. Where you're like, there's, Definitely. it's great. Sometimes it's great. Certain types of horror films where you're like, oh, it's the killer and stuff, but it's, it's always nice to see them do, the person does everything right, but they still get got, you know? Right. But then, yeah, when you're watching a monster movie, put put that on the shelf <laughs> and watch the monster movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, so, George, you see this trend as well? Yeah, part of, I was thinking about it, part of what makes horror, horror, what makes it work, is that there's something wrong that you can't explain, and that is the scariest thing. I mean... Literally, I mean, we're all on lockdown during this quarantine. And for me, time has started to blur together even more so. I mean, I'm a writer, so I work from home or coffee shops a lot of times. But like being on lockdown is a different level. And just having time blurred together is a scary thing. I think yeah. um, uh, who's the who's the guy who made uh, uh, Schenectady, New York? Kaufman? Yeah, Kaufman. Kaufman. Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He he really touched on that in in the. I mean, Schenectady, New York. He wrote that movie as a horror movie, and he wanted to play with the concept of fear of things that we naturally fear and the unknown. And it, it like did such a good job. And so back to Godzilla. Godzilla is just there, and it's this horrible thing that's crushing cities. I mean, I think it's awesome, but like <laughs> you know, in this, in this universe, it's a horrible thing that's crushing <laughs> cities, destroying people. You don't know how to stop it. You don't know where it came from, and there's a moment of dread where humans kind of have to surrender to Godzilla. And of course, like sometimes they they find some temporary solution to put him to sleep, and sometimes not. But um, not explaining it, I think, is the charm. It's kind of like Blair Witch. You don't want to see the monster sometimes, or you don't want to know where the monster came yes. from. It just exists. Yeah, absolutely. I think you really the hit more the you know head. about it, the, the less of a horror it becomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, the name of the movie is Shin Godzilla, also known as uh, Shin Gojira. But for a while in America, it was promoted as Godzilla Resurgence. What do we think about that name? Boo, right? Uh, Godzilla Resurgence. Yeah, the that's what? a. That's, that sounds like a vaccine. Oh, I yeah. Don't... <laughs> yeah, that I'm not a fan of that name. Really glad that they were like, uh, no, let's <laughs> let's put that one on the back burner for sure. You know, I got to um, say, I didn't even know about that. Did you know that, Haley? The Godzilla, the Godzilla Resurgence. Resurgence? Yeah. Yeah, that was how they were initially promoting it in America. Um, and then it was, they were ah. like, oh, this is a bad name. <laughs> so, so they switched it to Shin Godzilla uh, to match closer to the Japanese name as well. I, you know what? I think I heard about it, but I thought I thought they were pitching that as as a concept, like it's resurging. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they were playing it off like, oh yeah, that's what we meant. He's just coming <laughs> back. <laughs> but this movie does have a couple of firsts. It's actually the first full Japanese reboot in terms of 
showing him attacking with no record of him previously. All the other reboots of Godzilla have included the 1954 original in their canon, which is, I think, a really interesting way mm-hmm. to differentiate themselves right off the bat. Yeah, I agree. I think when, you know, Shin means new in mm. in Japanese. And so I think it was great to break to 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 break with it and get this new this reinvention of it and to truly just give it give it the hard reset so that we're you're stuck in the forest suddenly again. Like, I don't know, what what is this going to be? And and I think they executed that incredibly well, especially like luring you in to think maybe it's going to be a like it's very funny at first and then it takes that midpoint hard turn to pure horror and you're like, "Holy shit." <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I also really thought the, I don't want to give too much away, but like there's a really great setup to this movie where even as a Godzilla fan, you're not sure if you're seeing Godzilla for the first time. And they did such a good job of making this really creepy, oozing, gross looking monster that yeah. you're like, there's no way that's Godzilla. He's got googly eyes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But it's it, it is it, it, like that uncomfortable feeling of uh, and it's it's like go- kind of gory, too, because he's kind of bleeding all over the place. I'm like, wow, what is this gross thing? This can't be Godzilla. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he uh, has that like- like blood water stuff that he's squirting out. It's nasty. It's real nasty. Yeah. This is actually also one of the, it's well, it's the only Japanese live action Godzilla where he's almost completely CGI instead of the traditional guy in a suit effects. Right. Um, they did, however, use motion capture with uh, Mansai Nomura, who had a 22 pound weight strapped behind him to give him the sort of lumbering feel that Godzilla needs to have. I'm curious what you guys think about the, this shift to CGI because I definitely think that they pull it off, but there is definitely a piece of me that's like, oh man, but the guy in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't miss it. I thought I thought because they were telling us they were reinventing it so much that it was I was fine with it, and then also the fact that they let the googly eyed monster be <laughs> its own part. I was like, okay, so that's the guy in the suit part. Yeah. You know, to me, that was fine. And then they elevated it beyond that. So I, there was there was nothing I didn't, there was nothing I missed out of this one. Right. Yeah, I would say that the motion capture technology that has, has become so mature that uh, the, the things that we miss about the guy in a suit is the, the realistic motions and things like that. In today's audience, I think people have come to expect a certain level of craftsmanship in these movies and, and the effects that we see. So I don't think that... Having you know, when we look back at old uh, Godzilla movies from the fifties and sixties and uh, you know seventies, there is that moment where his tail might just fold, and <laughs> right, because, right, because somebody's literally like you know picking up a guy in a rubber suit and and pile driving him, and his yeah. tail just kind of <laughs> folds in half, and uh, that's charming. I, I miss that. I like it, but. Um, I don't know that that modern audiences, especially ones that are viewing this movie from a more critical eye, would would accept that. So I think that the middle ground with really high quality motion capture and really high quality CG is it really works. I I I think I agree with Haley. I don't really miss it too much. It looks it looks great. I think they did a really good job with the effects in this. And as Haley alluded to, Atsuki Sato, who was one of the effects supervisors, said that Godzilla's skin was deliberately made to look more rubbery as opposed to realistic animal skin. And having that motion capture added the live performance element to the animation. So definitely, if they're going to do it, I think that they really pulled it off in the absolute best way possible. 
Um, I, I agree. I think, and I mean, what a difficult, it's major props for that because what a difficult balance to strike. Cause you mm-hmm. do know that people are expecting some level of that. And, and if you don't give it to them, there is going to be an inherent disappointment on some level to some people. And so they handled this balance perfectly well where they're like, well, we can't sacrifice the horror of it that we want. Right. So we'll just ha- kind of have this part where it feels like that. And then, and then it made it even more punchy when, when we left Dr. Strangelove and went on to the rest, what would have happened after Dr. Strangelove? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, like you say, it doesn't, doesn't need to be the uh, guy playing Rodan's face pressing through the neck of the yeah. costume. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need to be quite that level of uh, realistic. So definitely I agree with that. Some of Godzilla's interactions with the environment, though, were achieved uh, with a prop being pushed through miniatures. And the final shot of the monster is actually a sculpture instead of a digital effect. So it's not like practical effects were completely done away with either. So no. when people say that it's entirely CGI, that's not quite true. So yeah, I at least have that. Absolutely. And it, I think that just gives it, that gives it an extra bit. And I think also because they did like for motion capture, you know, they use motion capture in the, in the 2019 Godzilla. And I think that that does a lot for it too, because it's too smooth. Otherwise mm-hmm. it's like when things are too smooth, we immediately discount them. We're like, that's not real. Bye. Right. I think um, I, I read this, uh, this note by an animator a long time ago talking about old animation from the 50s and 60s versus animation that you get today, which is mostly computerized and, uh, you know, comparing traditional 2D hand-drawn animation versus versus 3D. And he says that there is an imprecision that gives a warmth to 2D hand-drawn animation that mm-hmm. makes it feel yeah. like you're looking at a bunch of drawings that are that someone sat down and put to life. And, and so, and, and it, it conveys the mood and temperament of the animator at that moment in time because they, they, you know, they might have just gotten up and gotten a phone call or something and they come back and they draw it a little subtly different. I think that computer animation has come far enough that people have started to add that in there. I read this, uh, this other article a while back about the uncanny valley that, uh, that we experience when we see a CG character that looks very realistic but not realistic enough that it just that it's alarming and they found that right. one one thing that they started to notice that is that uh, when they added a little bit of motion inside the pupil that made humans feel much more comfortable so it's these imperfections oh, really? yeah and I'm, I'm seeing this technique like added to 3d animation all the time now they add little imperfections to make it feel more more soft more warm more normal good they should they, <laughs> I, I i can t- i i still to this day contend that the Simpsons got far less funny when they when they went really digital and smoothed everything out because I'm sorry, but it was super fun. Like the little idiosyncrasies in that mm-hmm. hand drawn animation were so good. Like the wall eyed, everybody going wall eyed yeah. at times. <laughs> like there was just like it's just nobody nobody puts up screen grabs of modern Simpsons. Nobody and the jokes are good. There's good jokes, but it doesn't have that same. Like, you know, Homer looking off into space while he's talking to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for the beginning of this movie, the, it, t- it starts off on November 3rd, which pulls double duty as a reference. First of all, it's the date that the original yes. movie released in 1954. Mm-hmm. And it's also... That's a good birthday. Yeah, exactly. And it's also the inverse of March 11th, 
which is the date of the 2011 earthquake in Japan, which led to the tsunami and nuclear disaster at the Fukushima power plant. So when they hit that uh, coincidence, they must have been like, holy shit, we got it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. And I just I went I went to Godzilla's birthday this year in Tokyo yeah. uh, in this this past year on November 3rd. He was the 65th. He's looking great. Yeah, uh, you never know. Yeah. You would never know. And I, I think he's had some work done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was very cool. And they have a giant statue of Shin Godzilla in Toho Plaza right now. That's awesome. Yeah, super cool. And just for people who don't remember this earthquake, it was really, really awful. It caused a tsunami that created this meltdown at the power plant. And it was the costliest natural disaster in history um, between the response and the recovery efforts. It was about $235 billion, according to the World Bank. Pretty crazy stuff. And I mean, that's on top of all the lives lost and everything, which is obviously much more important than just the economic toll that it takes. Right. Absolutely. They also did such great work keeping you feel that in this in this movie, you feel once there's that hard turn in the middle, they give you this great, you know, first half that's funny and in Dr. Strangelove, like I said, and like, you know, has some elements of, of 70s Godzilla and like Heisei and all that stuff. And then they do this hard right turn in the middle that's like, oh, right. Reminder, this is based on you know, there's a reason that they came up with Godzilla to begin with, and it wasn't a good thing. They hit that pretty hard in this movie. And I think they actually framed a lot of shots in this movie to to mirror some of the rubble and, you know, the the debris and and things that they had from in the aftermath of the tsunami and the earthquake. I I think uh, our guest we had on for this episode on our podcast was Heather Campbell. And she pointed that out that You could literally take some news stills of, you know, headlines and and photos from the debris and the rubble, and they recreated that. So it also gave it an element of, I mean, that that really um, steeps the horror in something that's tangible in reality that we've all seen and experienced and remember that dread. I remember just watching it from, you know, thousands of miles away in the comfort of my home, like from away from any any, uh, uh, danger and thinking, wow, what would I do in that moment? There's this giant immovable force that's coming mm-hmm. in. And that is the biggest and best analogy of Godzilla itself. It's this giant Absolutely. immovable force. Um, I think that that grounding it in reality, in these images that people have seen before the movie, really, it does a lot to help ground it and uh, and make it con- connectable in a tangible way, like you said. Even if you're not familiar with this particular disaster, a lot of people... Um, have seen hurricanes and stuff or have seen earthquakes here or have seen wildfires and stuff and being able to understand kind of uh, the scale of and of devastation and destruction that is happening here i think really helps to make it more real um for people who are watching absolutely and, and to that point we are in the middle of this pandemic right now and i'm feeling like they got this pretty right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's major aspects of it. I mean, just the, the first half of this, you know, for, for people who haven't seen it, A, check it out. But, the you know, the, there's a huge chunk in that first half that's just there's this danger coming and coming. And it's on its way. It's on its way. It's on its way. And then the bureaucracy can't handle it. They have to have mm-hmm. a meeting about every single thing on every single level of the building. And, da, 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 da. and then you have these young scientists 
that have the right idea and want to work together to get it done. Right. So if that doesn't sound familiar right now, <laughs> I don't know what does. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that they they also do a really good job of, even though you're right that this beginning half is very Dr. Strangelove, they set up some of the horror elements pretty early on. Um, This beginning portion where the Japanese Coast Guard are investigating an abandoned yacht in Tokyo Bay, it's like a classic horror movie opening uh, with like the handheld camera and everything really feels kind of tropey in the best way where you're like oh i understand what kind of movie we're going to be watching here absolutely absolutely they set it up they're they i thought i mean super well said they did a great job of being like guess what this is still going to be scary but then they do the wonderful thing that the best horror movies do after that after that initial scare they start to lull you a little bit (laughs) and then and then i mean i i just I can't remember a film that I've seen in recent memory where I had the rug so pulled out from under me. It very suddenly goes from you're laughing, you're going, oh my gosh, yep, that's government, ha 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 ha, (laughs) to just pure terror and just understanding of the agony of what people would be going through. And it's, it's just remarkably well done. I think that uh, they did a really good job, the actors did a really good job of uh, paying paying deference to the impact of nuclear bombs because at one point they, mm-hmm. they you know in, in a lot of Godzilla movies they always ex, uh, explore the nuclear option but in Japan right. as as one of the few countries on earth um or the only country on earth that has actually experienced it in wartime it's a very he- heavy uh you can see that it's taken a very heavy toll on their psyche and oh, when yeah. it comes to that point in the movie it's not just like well, have we tried nukes? Let's nuke them. Uh, you know, in Japan, they have this very serious con- uh, 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 conversation where they're discussing the impact of nukes and, and having to relive that horror as people who mm-hmm. live through it and uh, what, you know, the full implications. And that's something that I think is such a unique thing that can only exist in Japanese film. And I'm so glad that they, they uh, paid deference yes. to that and gave it the gravity that it deserved. Absolutely. There's the guy who um, he says like, oh, it's it's easy for them to say about far off Asia, you know, and for mm-hmm. for someone to be like, oh, yeah, go and uh, drone that wedding, like drone strike that wedding. It's very easy because, you know, so so many aspects of um, American imperialism, people like when we're done, our soldiers come home and they go back to their families. And that's fantastic. But the kind of ripple effects of our being in these other places last for decades. You know, it's, it's not as simple as, Oh, nuke it. And we can all go home. Godzilla's dead at the end of this nuking that Tokyo needs to rebuild. Um, Absolutely. And there's uh, my, um, my sister-in-law is from Nagasaki and she, and it's, I just, when, when I, I choose the person I went with, to uh to japan in in november and we went to nagasaki and i i found it remarkable that you know sometimes the it's like if you talk to people that like lived through the holocaust it took a long time for them to for the showa foundation to get those people to sit down and talk about it because sometimes things are just so horrific that afterwards you're like i need to just shut the door on that and move forward yeah and it's the only way really, you can yeah, and and in Nagasaki, I found that she she outright said it because I was kind of thinking about going to the museum, but I didn't know how to approach it. I, she said I, the museum's over there, and before I could even bring it up, she said, "But 
I'd rather not go there. We have so much else to offer here. And it was like, yeah, I get that. I completely get that. You, I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah. Like we were saying, the Japanese Coast Guard investigated this abandoned yacht in Tokyo Bay. Great horror opening. They find nothing in there. But we also see the Tokyo Bay Aqua Line, which is a very famous bridge tunnel expressway for people who aren't familiar. And this starts to crumble. And this liquid that, like you said, just sort of like looks like bloody water just pours down on the cars inside. And uh, there's an explosion out in the water, but the water is churning, so they can't tell what's there. And you're like, wow, this is this does a really great job of throwing like a bunch of crazy shit at us that we don't know what's happening. And uh, it really like throws you off balance from from minute one, which I think is really great. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You're just like, oh shit. (laughs) From every direction. And I love uh, the first person video stuff, like you said. And they waste no time in getting to their thesis with this movie because we go to the like response team and they're like talking about what they think is happening. Their their first minute is spent in just deciding to have another meeting about this. And yep, <laughs> this, they really they hit this so hard. But I think that first of all, I think that it's very funny in the way that they handle it, and also I think it's a really important message as well. Exactly. Again, this is extremely topical to now. Like this is replace nuclear with uh with a pandemic and boom right unlike a pandemic however there is a, a handy dandy viral video that goes around yeah, of, <laughs> of, uh, of godzilla and uh deputy chief cabinet secretary rando yaguchi theorizes that this is a, a living creature and this is dismissed completely in favor of spontaneous volcano or steam vent that didn't show up in previous geological surveys i think it's so funny when there's there's kind of that well when you eliminate all the impossible uh whatever's left however improbable must be the answer and in this case it's a giant lizard and they're just so unwilling to accept that that they're like oh uh we did these geological surveys and this spontaneous geological phenomenon (laughs) just came out of nowhere uh, instead of us not knowing. I think that that's such an interesting, like willful blind spot. It does such a good job of like, we have, like you said, 65 years worth of Godzilla movies to draw on this history. And from them not taking it seriously, you're just, it puts you in this, this position of like, Oh no, like I know what's coming and it's this encroaching storm. And you just, you're like, well, uh, they're screwed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and that you still, but then you're still not totally sure which flip of the coin, if you've seen Godzilla movies before, you're not sure what flip of the coin it's going to land on in oh, yeah. terms of, a, is it going to be really a war film? Like, I mean, if you rewatch the original 1954, that's, that was scary. That is a scary movie. And it's sad and, and it, it because and it's scary because it feels like oh my gosh this could be real and you don't know whether it's going to be it's going to land on a silly side <laughs> like <laughs> if things are just going to go to you know son of godzilla blow in smoke circles or if it's going to to really turn into a full disaster and so i think that that tension too just it, it adds to the horror. Uh, Godzilla movies, to me, Haley and I have talked about this at length on our podcast, but there's there's different styles of Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. And the original 1954 was a horror movie, but over time, there was there was definitely an era of Godzilla movies where it was kind of 
they they went on kind of a goofy note and <laughs> yes. and it was just it became more fun than scary and i think this movie does a pretty good balance of fun and the scary but i think the, like 60 percent you know it's it's more horror than than uh than just like the fun stuff the fun stuff to me is yeah, just sure. when you see there's moments where godzilla comes out and you he's already <laughs> badass he's already unstoppable oh hell he's, yeah he's bulletproof they're dropping bombs on him and then you're thinking okay cool this thing's real badass and then he becomes more badass like <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's me there's badassery yeah yeah, Truly, the evolution is it, unstoppable. It really is. I mean, there's a moment in the movie where, where Godzilla powers up because they attacked him and it didn't work. And I stood up in my seat and I shouted at him like, yeah, I was so excited <laughs> because, yeah, it's horrible. He's destroying the city, but he's also doing it in the most badass and awesome way possible. Hell I mean, yeah. you got to go. <laughs> and that, I love that also the fact that, you know, these young scientists are right and that they're constantly getting disregarded just adds to it. That you're like, this is going to go wrong, and you're not listening to the couple of people that know. And I know that that's done, obviously, it's done plenty of movies, but this, I think it's just done so much more effectively and urgently in this one. Right. And I think that they, the, the way that they contrast these young scientists who are very active in their pursuit of this and th- these meetings that are happening, first of all, there's a lot of really great panning shots as they go through the conference rooms, just showing how many people are there, you know, the actual cinematography of it. But there's a moment in this first secondary meeting where they literally have a cut with the title card for abbreviated <laughs> to jump forward in time and it's exactly the same briefing every like this is yep. hell. <laughs> oh, <it's> so good <laughs> and you can like you contrast these scientists to to the prestigious biologists who show up and and they say things without saying anything at all they say we can't tell if it's a dinosaur or a whale it seems to be a never before seen aquatic species but i couldn't say without examining it is the footage right. even real and <laughs> Like, it just be over. It's just yeah. It's just like you said, the self protective power thing. That's like, I well, I don't want to be wrong, so I'm not gonna. Right. You're gonna get me on record otherwise being wrong, and then I won't. You know, then I won't get my funding for this next thing. And it's like, yes, that is that is quite literally the same type of stuff that has stopped. And we're seeing again. We're sorry to keep harping on it, but it's like no, right. it's wild that we're seeing this happen right now. Yeah, and they put the label uh, "giant unidentified life form" on it, and uh, mm-hmm. I got to say, not quite as snappy as Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> the one, the one thing I don't think this movie had it. We uh, Haley and I, we both like this a lot in Godzilla movies. Is usually when they are, when they're discussing the problem and the terror for the first time, they have the uh, the boardroom meeting in, with the scientists or the UN or whoever it is, and there's a moment where they grab a dinosaur book. sometimes it's just literally like a children's dinosaur book and they're just going through (laughs) flipping through and it's like oh it's this one it's this one here this is the one (laughs) look at this one and here's the pop-up version (laughs) yeah uh, that one's always a lot of fun to me it's it's such a whimsical moment when you see like serious men in like having a having a serious meeting but then just holding a dinosaur book i i, I don't yeah they, they kind of paid you know they gave a nod to that but i don't think they had that moment in this movie this unidentified life form moves inland and it's going through this river in tokyo in the midst of this inadequate evacuation and 
I mean, there's literally evidence showing these high-ranking experts are wrong about the creature coming on shore and being able to support its weight. Mm-hmm. But they're so enthralled by the the titles affixed to their name that they take the word over this. Um, and it comes ashore now in its second form, nicknamed uh, Kamada-kun. And uh, I'm curious what you guys think about this second form. Very atypical for Godzilla. Are we talking about the goofy form? Yes, exactly. Yeah. My little, little cute boy. Little cute boy, <laughs> little cute boy bouncing around there. Uh <laughs> At first, I have to say, like, when I first was in the theater seeing it, I was like, what? For a second, because I was waiting for Godzilla. Sure. But so I was, it left me a little confused at that time. But then the payout after that was dope as hell. Mm-hmm. At that moment when he was in his second form, I'm like, is it? Is it Godzilla? Is this him? Yeah, I didn't know. I thought maybe this could be another monster that Godzilla is going to come in and attack or something. Yeah. Man, it's such a clever way of of uh, revealing your monster in a movie like this. Because we talk, uh, we talked about this too on our on our podcast. How American Godzilla movies tend to do the big reveal. They love to do the big reveal. Like, mm-hmm. oh, when are we going to see him? When are we going to see him? Forty five minutes into the movie, no thanks. Godzilla, like Japanese Godzilla movies, credits, boom, Godzilla. <laughs> there he is. Exactly. So this one, He's, Godzilla's always in the cold open. You get a little taste. Yeah, you get a little taste. <laughs> You know he's like he's coming, uh, and this one is kind of a, a an interesting hybrid of the two uh, concepts because you're literally looking at Godzilla, but you don't know it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool, and and that it's like basically the equivalent of a natural disaster, a tsunami, or whatever coming coming at you. It's like like you were saying earlier, George, just this wall of water. You you can't get out of the way. There's nothing you can do. So yeah. this thing's just kind of they have time to push it through an evolution of weird googly-eyed <laughs> creepo, they have time to because they can't stop it. And it's like, there it is sitting there and you're just going, I don't know what's it going to do next. We're just stuck with it. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah, and he, you know, as googly-eyed as he is, it's not like he's not doing some damage here. Oh, he's fucking uh, shit up. <laughs> he's, uh, he's carving out a path of destruction and absolutely and pretty that's, that's gruesome stuff. He looks fucking ridiculous. Like, what is scarier than something that looks that ridiculous causing that much damage? And yeah. you can't stop it. Cut between, like, his his goofy face and then, like, a guy crushed under a car. And you're like, yes! oh, my God. I loved it. I thought that was so fucking. And, and that is so something only, like, Hideaki Anno would, would think of doing. That's I think that's the power of handing these types of movies to uh, people that have done animation. I think it's, it's just, they, they see things in a way they were, they remember how to see things in a way visually that will really get the most impact. Yeah. We got all this and the blood is still pouring out of his gills. He's stomping around. And we also, this is definitely counterbalanced with the ineffectiveness of the government in action, everything needing a meeting, the leaders of Tokyo uh, deciding on self-evacuation. And then immediately the roads are completely uh, at a choke, completely still. And the next meeting is the prime minister hemming and hawing about declaring a state of emergency to mobilize (laughs) their self-defense forces. And he's saying that he does eventually do it, but while they're feeling positive about this, uh, Yaguchi warns them that wishful thinking led to the loss of 3 million Japanese lives in World War II. I think referring to the fact that there was kind of a, after things had already pretty much ended, they were refusing to surrender and everything. And 
to beware of this unfounded optimism. And it's like, well, on one hand, Yaguchi doesn't seem particularly fun at parties. <laughs> but <laughs> on the other hand, you know, definitely saying something like, oh, this pandemic will be gone in a couple days and we'll all be out of here by Easter, right. perhaps is unfounded optimism that could lead <laughs> to the loss of additional lives. Yeah, right. Exactly. But it's <laughs> like, they don't get to take care of And there's so many people that have that perspective, too. And Godzilla here, he he evolves into his third form after they mobilize and they're they're all shooting at him. This one is affectionately referred to as Shinagawa-kun. All these nicknames refer to kind of the area that they make landfall in first Mm -hmm. time. And compared to what I consider to be a very cute form, too, this third form is just absolutely horrific. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) He stands up, he's bipedal now, and he's got his actual little hands, but his skin has all these, like, cracks in it to show the flesh underneath, and his mouth splits open to roar with, like, gross cheek muscles. Yeah, it's so gross. It seems like you guys are into this form as well. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. And this is is the turning point. This is the moment that I remember sitting in the theater. And and every time I've seen it since then, it just, you stop. You just stop everything. And you're like, oh, my fucking God. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Because then you realize that you're like, oh, if I were in this area at all, I'm dead. Yeah, there's no way. This is also the first time they've had a, a, a any creature, I think, that was so grotesque in the Godzilla series. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I you, agree. you have, you know, you have the smog monster and some of these other ones, but like this is none of them have looked so realistic with modern CG and the grotesqueness combined. So it's <laughs> it's jarring. This is this mm-hmm. is like a moment of genuine like, what am I looking at? Why would they put this on film? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And not only do we get this great moment visually, but the score during this part is amazing. You get some very classic Godzilla theming as he evolves. Absolutely. It really like picks up the pace as the military shows up. And the score throughout this entire movie is really fantastic. Oh, Um, I also wanted to mention um, when we when we uh, talked about this episode, there's a a bit of trivia that that uh, we learned that the roars uh, of Godzilla is based on the different eras of Godzilla. So every stage of evolution has a roar from that era of movies. Yeah, that's awesome. So it goes, it takes you through all of that. That's really cool. What a, what a awesome way to kind of double down on the evolution idea. Yeah, absolutely. Thought about it just like in three dimensions. Every, every single aspect was thought about. Yeah. It seems that way because they also, um, so the person who did the score is, uh, Shiro Sagisu. And he, so he was also part of the neon uh, Genesis Evangelion team. And so he used a couple of remixes of the decisive battle theme from Evangelion, but he also used several pieces from previous Godzilla films that were yeah, he used uh, a lot from Ifakube. Yeah, yeah really which cool is stuff. Great. And then another small uh, little piece of trivia that I mean, it's just about Godzilla films in general that I that I think uh, speaks volumes about why Ifakube's score is so recognizable and and I mean, especially on a horror podcast that gets your heart moving is. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ifakube was actually from a from a native tribe on Hokkaido, and he was self-taught for classical music. So when you listen to his scores by uh, his Godzilla scores, it's actually a combination of his his tribe's traditional music 
with our more, you know, with like classical European music. And I think that you can, you can feel that. That's like the deep rhythms sort of thing that we mm. all kind of know deep within us. And then these lighter things and just that combination is wonderful. I, I think that he does do a really good job. Um, not only of incorporating uh, this classic Godzilla score, but also bringing it up to date the same way that Godzilla himself is being brought up to date. So mm-hmm. really uh, just some nice work there. What do you think about it, George? You, you like that he uses this classical stuff too? Oh yeah, this is, I mean, this is, you have to have it in these movies. If I don't hear it, there, I'm, I, you know, I'm left longing for it. I really want to hear that classic. To me, it, the music is almost like a, uh, an analogy of the way Godzilla walks. It's heavy it's lumbering, yeah. mm-hmm. it hits you, and you can feel, and especially if you watch it in the theater, which I highly recommend you do any Godzilla movie, is you're going to feel that huge sound system moving oh, yeah. your body, and it is such a cool feeling. Right. To say what type of music that is, by the way, he, so he, was, he spent much of his childhood in Otofukenu near Obihiro, and so there's a, a mixed population of the Ainu, and that was, that was what he pulled a lot of his inspiration from, was the Ainu tribe. Well, it's very cool stuff and, uh, you know, led to a lot of really um, iconic, iconic score. So I think probably a pretty cool way to represent where you're from. You know, that's the beauty of having something that runs for this long is that you're able to pull so many fun little homages and nods to previous iterations of it. And I think that being able to look for that sort of thing is half the fun of watching a Godzilla movie. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And they wind up having to abort this attack on this new form of Godzilla because there are civilians around, but luckily for them, Godzilla has to return to the sea because he's overheated. <laughs> and, yeah, well, uh, yep. He's got a cooling system. Yeah. It, hey, it makes perfect sense. Uh, but it's funny. You, you don't know that at the time and neither do they. They're just like, uh, okay, I guess we just uh, take this win here. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a really nice moment here where uh, Yaguchi is taking in all the damage and he like I think has the perspective in this movie that is supposed to keep shifting it back to like the human cost um, mm-hmm. and he's definitely supposed to tie it down to like this isn't just buildings and stuff getting destroyed the, like people are dying here and he does this nice little prayer for the people who died and definitely supposed to be one of those shots that is reminiscent of the news shots from the tsunami. Right. And, and it excellently done. Excellently done. Yeah. Yaguchi, I feel like Yaguchi is such a great character in mm-hmm. terms of keeping us connected to our humanity throughout the course of it where everybody else is being it like allows everybody else to be ridiculous while he's just you know quietly this this leader that cares yeah he's uh, i like also there are a lot of shots of this with yaguchi seeming a little disheveled but in a way that we all are <laughs> by the end of yeah. a long day long week and uh you can t- like he's such a good actor he he really emotes you know he cares a lot he cares deeply and his, his frustration actor. is our frustration as we're watching this movie. Absolutely. And it's mm-hmm. it's funny, too, in the next scene where um, the government officials decide that they're going to focus on military strategy and civilian safety while Yaguchi is put in charge of a task force to reach, research the creatures. And he comes into this office, built like this office room, and he's like, I'm going to be the cool boss. I want people with balls. There are no ranks here. <laughs> 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 
Hell yeah, you Gucci. <laughs> yeah, you Gucci. And then he gets, he comes up with this idea, right, to freeze Godzilla up, basically, right? Yeah, well, so they, they start to all fill in information together. And yeah. the, the score during this scene of just them, so cool. re, like, giving information to each other, it sounds like an action scene, which I think is a really fun and interesting thing that they're doing mm-hmm. there. And they do, they figure out that it's energized by nuclear radiation. And so they're like, hey, if we shut down this cooling system, this is, I think, our only approach to stopping this guy. Right. And that there's, I love that they give it that because it's like, oh, finally letting the scientists do their thing. Finally <laughs> exactly. letting the smartest person in the room do what they're good at. <laughs> This was a really cool moment too. Uh, I, I like pointing this out in in uh, the you know the politics that they have in this movie. They kind of they kind of throw a little bit of shade towards China because uh, I don't know if a lot of listeners know, but uh, China and Japan have a lot of uh, history, and mm-hmm. not all, not all of it is good. And they've been very yeah they've been rivals at, at many times. They've been war enemies, and so. There's a moment in the movie when they come up with the solution to like this coolant that's going to cool down Godzilla and, and freeze him so they can dispose of him or do something with him. They talk about every country on Earth producing some of this coolant and everyone's chipping in and everyone's like, oh, the U.S. is going to send 300 barrels and South Korea is going to send uh, 20 barrels. And then uh, they said China's going to send 10 barrels, but they're going to charge us for it. Yeah, it was was a throwaway line. Yeah, burnt China. Yeah, but uh, I knew exactly what they were getting at because this and this isn't the first time they've done this in a Godzilla movie. Um, Haley, remember there was the uh, Godzilla movie with the the Red Dragon uh, Force. It it was about as heavy-handed as you can you can make uh, an enemy be China without actually saying it's China. Right. Yep. There's like always just a little bit of shade. Always a little bit of shade being thrown at it. Uh, something that's cool to note is that the name of the plan is is it's uh, based on Yamada no Orochi, which is this eight-headed monster from Japanese mythology, and they defeat him with sake, and so they actually like pump him full of stuff too. Right, and so they're actually like this whole plan also has to do with that. Yeah, it's it's very cool. They 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 mention they don't go like enough into. The they mythology, exactly. And so if you're like, oh, I recognize like what they're talking about, it's another mm-hmm. fun little like, oh, I know the mythology. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're right. They name it, they name it Operation uh, Yashiori, and that was the sake that was used to defeat Yamato no Orochi. And right. so that's, yeah, exactly. And I didn't know anything about that, but then I, when I looked it up when I got home after seeing it, I was like, whoa, that's so <laughs> cool. Yeah. I love stuff that makes you then go home and look it up more. It's a fun way to you know, keep the movie going and Mm -hmm. keep it part of you moving forward. And I think that Godzilla movies do that a lot, but the U S sends a special envoy along with their barrels, uh, Kyoko Ann Patterson. And she's a Japanese American diplomat whose father is a powerful member of the house of representatives. And she's described as a combination of skill, nepotism, ambition, and coattails, (laughs) (laughs) which when they say that she's like riding the coattails and that there's a certain element of nepotism, they like say it almost kind of respectfully where they're like, yeah, like she's using her connections. Like at some point, you know, you might as well. Uh, Absolutely. uh, I thought that was really interesting. And she works with Yaguchi to hunt for Goro Maki, who is a last known location. It turns out was the yacht from the beginning. Who's he's also the guy who made the name Godzilla. Exactly. And uh, so where uh, Maki is from, Godzilla means God incarnate. Mm -hmm. Really cool line. (laughs) 
because hell yeah, because <laughs> hell yeah he is. <laughs> And so they do a little more digging. It turns out this guy was a former uh, zoology professor who was disgraced and he moved to the U.S. studying mutations caused by radioactive contamination. And he theorized about the appearance of Godzilla. But when neither American or Japanese uh, scientific circles believe him, he is completely discredited and is prevented from making his conclusions public. So he says, screw all of you. I'm going to put my notes in a code. Leave it on this yacht. Do with it whatever you will uh, is exactly what he says. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> he just vanishes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nope, just gone. And like, I also think that the something that is interesting here is how the bureaucracy starts to creep back in on Yaguchi's plans. Like he figures this out and he figures out this this freezing Godzilla plan. But then what they're up against, too, they begin to be up against the human clock, which is. The bureaucracy wants to nuke the place. Right. They think that's the only that's the only way out, which I think doubles down on the horror aspect because you're like, oh man, now it's not only a natural disaster horror film; it's a human horror, horror film too. Like it, it does such a great job of balancing that, where it's like, oh shit's gonna if we don't if they don't get ahead of this, like they're everyone's gonna die anyway. Right. Oh, and also, I was going to say, uh, I think Akasaka is also like it has a uh, it's a district of Tokyo. And so funny that somebody's name is Akasaka. And I remember that uh, when I was there, I, I don't know a ton about it besides what I saw, but it's definitely the more traditional area of Tokyo. That's mm-hmm. where like a lot of the shrines and stuff are. So I wonder if that was done with uh, that was probably done with intention. I, I definitely agree. I, I I don't think that anything in this movie was done by accident because yeah. <laughs> they just put so much love and care into it that uh, something like that slipping by, I, I think, is uh, probably not uh, something that's going to happen, um, which is definitely to their credit. Right. Um, absolutely. One thing I wanted to point out was when they order evacuations in Tokyo, there is a moment where some of the generals are like, well, we need to attack the creature. He's right there. He's right in front of us. And there's that very real moment where you have to weigh the interest of the rest of Japan, the rest of the population versus the interest of a few. And it's a really tough one. You can see on their faces, this is a credit to the actors, but they were, you can see it on their faces. Like, what would you do in that situation? Um, would you take down? Because we've had to all think about that, that exact scenario. Well, not exact with Godzilla, but like we've had to think of that scenario of uh, after 9-11, if there was a plane that was hijacked, and you were able to scramble some jets to go up there and, uh, inter- you know, um, intercept it. Do you take down the jet and potentially kill all those innocent lives? Or do you, mm-hmm. you know, do you see it through and try to find some other solution? They had that moment in Godzilla um, that I thought was was a really just a credit to their acting. Like, they did a really good job. So good. So good. And it increases the horror again because it puts you in that driver's seat. It makes you go, what would I do? Like, but again... The third, so now a third component of horror that's come in is that are will you be a monster or not? It's great. It's just like it's it's natural disaster. It's bureaucracy and it's the individual and everybody like the the monster's going to do what he's going to do. So it's up to you to have the right choices to be to come out of this alive and and not a shithead. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's so much pressure on all these people because there's kind of so many things happening at once where you have other countries being like, we're going to nuke you. You have the Japanese government being like, 
we need to like there's all this red tape you need to deal with godzilla himself mm-hmm. is causing such destruction that he literally had to enter a dormant state because he like fucked shit up so bad yes. <laughs> that just there was literally a wall of fire behind him at one point <laughs> yeah and they did nothing to him he went into a dormant state he was like right. oh god i need a break it's like <laughs> 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 you guys did such a bad job and he had time to basically like he's go just get winded some, pick up some arby's and come back <laughs> and this dormant state is like they're like this is our one shot to, yes. to get this freezing plan in and with just hours to go before the nuclear p- attack they get this plan in godzilla is he's destroying them he's getting through but this this ragtag team pushes through and they manage to uh to get godzilla frozen solid although it doesn't quite look like it right away <laughs> he right. does get back up uh and in the aftermath it's discovered that the Godzilla fallout actually has a very short half-life and that Tokyo can soon be reconstructed. And there's this great last, like, kind of uh, sword of Damocles hanging over them mm-hmm. where they're like, okay, we'll suspend the nuclear countdown, <laughs> but we're right. not canceling it. So the minute that Godzilla wakes back up, boom, thermonuclear strike. Right. Uh, yeah, he's just delayed incredible. the inevitable, mm-hmm. and and he hopes that you know Yaguchi uh, hopes he can prevent that, of course, happening again. But it's like that's just yeah, it, it, it's so that's so terrifying because again they've they've slowed down the monster, but the second that it raises up again, humans are the threat again. Like yeah. that's that's I mean, it's just so remarkable. It's like it's bad enough. That I mean, just like with the uh, Fukushima meltdown, it's like it's bad enough that a tsunami hit, but then we build all these nuclear power plants that are our fault because when they melt down, they affect all of us. Like yeah. what we're doing. It sounds like you're you're into this ending as well. I think it's really cool mm-hmm. having uh, this kind of doomsday clock stuck at eleven fifty nine. But George, I want to hear your thoughts on it as well. Yeah. Um, so I never want to see Godzilla destroyed because to me, Godzilla is is uh, is the winner of all these movies, he always is like the <laughs> badass. So, yeah, the, the good solution is either Godzilla goes away, Godzilla goes back to the ocean, and in this one, they literally froze Godzilla with this uh, with this uh, uh, chemical that they made, this concoction. Um, I thought it was fine, I, because it leaves the door open for another Godzilla movie when he gets unfrozen yep. in a year or two and <laughs> wreaks havoc again. I love it. It's the best. It's the best type of ending you can get, because... There was one Godzilla movie, I think it was Godzilla vs. Destroya, where he was killed and, right. yeah. uh, and kind of like reborn at the end, which is fine. But it was such a melancholy moment because I just sat there watching it. it like so sad. Yeah, you right. don't want to yeah, see it. With Burning Godzilla, it was Godzilla like... Versus, yeah, the tagline for that movie was Godzilla dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't let you have any, uh, any, any uh, ifs, ands, or buts about it, which is definitely, uh, definitely melancholy. Yeah. I agree. They got you in. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> um, yeah, was literally Godzilla dies. That's it. Godzilla <laughs> Shizu. Godzilla dies. <laughs> wow. Brutal. Brutal. But hey, you can't say that they didn't warn you. <laughs> yep, that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's this amazing final shot as he's in the, uh, Yaguchi is in the foreground framing Godzilla in the back. And the, it just ends with this pan up of frozen Godzilla's tail. And you see possibly the fifth form, 
these freaky Godzilla human hybrids emerging from his tail. Yes. Probably oh. the most upsetting, disgusting thing I've ever seen. <laughs> in my I life. loved it. That had some aliens vibes to it. That oh, had. Yeah. I, I loved it. Like this fucking movie accomplished everything. <laughs> this is the best horror film. <laughs> oh, it was so cool. And also, um, you know, it did write what the 1998 Godzilla movie did wrong. So the, in the 98 Godzilla, Godzilla laid a bunch of eggs and they just came out as like weird velociraptors. In this right. one, um, Godzilla's, you know, you see a bunch of like mini Godzilla's coming out of its tail or some like some, you know, primordial t- version of, of uh, whatever Godzilla's uh, uh, species is. And you see it coming out and you're like, wow, I turned to my friend in the, in the movie and I was like, oh, my gosh, Godzilla's uh, hermaphrodite. Yeah. And that was <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really cool gender reveal. <laughs> I loved it. Is asexually producing? Yeah, it was, yeah he, it was he doesn't need anyone else. Yeah, it was basically the movie was like a 119 minute gender reveal party. <laughs> yeah, you thought your gender reveal party was destructive. At least you left Tokyo standing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, those um, gender reveal parties are crazy. Yeah, they're uh, they're out of hand, out of hand for sure. <laughs> but as far as the future of Shin Godzilla. This was actually news to me until uh, news to me today. Um, I was like, when is the next Shin Godzilla movie? And not only did Toho say that they are not really, there's not going to be a direct sequel to Shin Godzilla anymore. Right. Which huge bummer. They were like, oh, part of this is because we can't release a, a Godzilla movie. Because it's movie. legendary, right? Right. They, they had a non-compete clause where they couldn't release it in the same year. The Chinese and, got him again. Oh, uh, they got him. But uh, <laughs> that, con- that contract expires in 2020. So, you know, hopefully we can get something with a very similar, at least, tone to this if it's not uh, a direct sequel. So uh, I'm looking forward to that at least. But we've reached now the point george and haley where we each explain why we think that this is the best horror movie ever made so george why don't you go ahead and start us off this is the uh, the best horror movie ever made uh shin godzilla because well first of all i'm biased uh so it's going to be it's because it's a good introduction to godzilla movies um, <laughs> but also because of the real element of horror that humans face like i said the the moment where you have the real decision that you have to make between saving the lives of many or saving the lives of few and having to balance, having to strike that balance. It's a, t- it's a tough choice. Like you, you, As a viewer watching that, you can relate to that. Um, in horror movies, you know the thing that people often relate to in slasher movies is being chased, I guess. Uh, but uh, most of us, let's be real, aren't chased by someone with a, with a knife, thankfully. But in this movie, there are some very real decisions that we do have to face uh, day to day. That... Also, t- contending with a huge natural disaster that you cannot even grasp the scope of, and being pa- feeling uh, helpless, powerless, and uh, uh, with no with no ability to change your course, only to kind of watch this this horrible thing unfold. And it is mm-hmm. almost like a perfect analogy of our times, especially because we are literally in a quarantine, and <laughs> this whole huge horrible thing is happening to everybody in the world, and there's nothing you can do about it. So I think that. Uh, in that sense, it it mirrors and parallels some very real horrors in real life, and I think it does a very good job of it. And it's also a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely, and it's it's 
Boy, sure is interesting that uh, ever since this pandemic started, people have been picking things like Shin Godzilla and 28 Days Later. Interesting. <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah, so I think it's top of mind. But uh, but all right, why don't you uh, take your 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 chance at this, Haley? Uh, well, I mean, I I really agree with George. Uh, we should George and I should do a podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I agree. I think. I think, you know, I, I like a lot of horror films and I like a lot of different types of horror films. But yes, the ones that I think keep me up at night the most are these ones where it's, yeah, an like you can't get out of the way of a natural disaster like that. Like you, you know, you can try, but nobody ever really makes it, makes it out of the path of it, as is. Like, to George's point, as is being evidenced right now, we're all just like hoping for the best in quarantine right now. So, um, and then plus the fact that they still also made, you know, human stupidity a true enemy uh, and bureaucracy, and knowing that that is that's something that is real and and can hit us. So, I think uh, it covers every base. You got the monsters. You got a. Uh, you got the horror aspect of of humans being terrible <laughs> um, and you have the lingering fear afterwards. Yeah. I, I think that you, you're both absolutely right. And I think that what makes this the best horror movie ever made to me is that it manages to pull off two discrete types of horror and not sacrifice any bit of either of them yeah. for the sake of the other. You have this outlandish, monster this this monster who's able to not uh to mutate not on a generational scale but on a personal scale and who is destroying these huge swaths of tokyo and he has silly googly eyes at some points <laughs> like it's this outlandish idea but it's handled in a way that is very scary in terms of like i can put myself in their shoes it's supposed to be this uh, this natural disaster, I understand what mm-hmm. they're going for. But then on the other hand, you also have the horror of bureaucracy and the red tape and the way that an inefficient government can cause real yeah. human suffering. Um, Doom you. Yeah. And and so the fact that this is able to play out with complete sincerity and still be a savage skewering of, of the Japanese government at the time, while also having this background it's crazy that in the Godzilla movie, Godzilla destroying Tokyo is the background plot of it, but it kind yeah. of is. And the way that they managed to pull that off, I think, makes this the best horror movie ever made. Damn uh, straight. Absolutely. It is. It, and just one small thing to add to that, like that is, I think, out of all of these disaster ones, too. Sorry, other disaster movies. Sorry, zombie movies. But this one does it the best. This one, I mean, because we're in it now and it's playing mm. out very similarly, way too similarly. So absolutely nailed it. Absolutely. And uh, I, you know, I got to say, I couldn't have asked for two better people to come on and talk (laughs) about the first Godzilla movie with me for this. So I want to thank you both for uh, coming on. And why don't you go ahead and each of you tell the people uh, where they can find you. Uh, Haley, let's start with you. Uh, You can find me at Haley Mancini and you can also find our podcast and it's on all the podcast platforms, but you can follow us on Twitter at zero Z E R O underscore Godzilla. That's right. And I'm at Maddox rules on Twitter 
M-A-D-D-O-X-R-U-L-E-S. And yeah, give us a follow on that zero underscore Godzilla. We've been posting a lot of uh, really cool Godzilla-related stuff. And um, that, it's such a fun community. It's a really fun uh, mm-hmm. listener base and podcast. Like, so many, so many uh, just genuine fans of this type of uh, movie and genre. And we're really glad to have them. Yeah, I always I see that guy drawing incredible art of the guests as kaiju, and and it's yeah. really incredible stuff. Um, An Emmy award winning artist. There you go. I, I definitely want to endorse people going and checking out the podcast. It's really great. And as you know, we start getting closer and closer to Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, the show is only going to heat up as well. So Woo-hoo! get in now. Um, oh, yeah. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Gerg Hef. The show is Little Horror PHL. That username uh, goes to uh, Instagram and Facebook as well, so you find us on those places. Uh, we have fun merch on T Public if you want to go ahead and buy a shirt and uh, give us a like and a review if you don't mind. That's it for me. I want to thank you guys for coming on again, and uh, everyone have a good day. Bye. Woo-hoo! 